Amen. Well, that singing these outstanding hymns had a revival effect. So new, fresh, living. Thank the Lord. We can sing such a way unto our God. Now we come to message three. Living the kingdom life in the church life for God's building. This is the Lord's goal in establishing the churches according to God's sovereign arrangement. One church in one city because the church in the city is the expression of the one organic universal body of Christ. And we will see that the kingdom with its reality is the content of the church life. And we will see that apart from this content, in the sight of God, we actually are not living and practicing the genuine God-ordained church life. This is not to suggest there is no reality and practicality. There is much. But we need more substance, more constitution, until we are all fully matured. And this living in the church life is for God's building. The word building is surely on the list of the most common words among us. But here at the very start, I'd like to give you, derived from the ministry, a basic definition of building. Building, which is corporate, this building is the corporate expression of God in Christ through the believers in oneness. The basic thought here is building is the corporate expression of God. We know from Colossians 2 that personally, we all need to be rooted and grounded in Christ and built up in him. This is our personal growth and development until we are built into God and God is built into us. That passage is not speaking yet of the building of the church, the house of God. So I repeat, to be in the building, to be part of the building, is to be part of the corporate expression 
of the triune God in Christ. Because this is a corporate expression, it's something with the believers in oneness. And this is in sharp contrast to misunderstandings of building that have been even among us. Thankfully, there hasn't been many. They haven't prevailed. But from time after time, they emerged to cause damage. Some uh, consider that building is really detailed organization. But there is no organization in the church of God, in the body of Christ. There is order, organic order, just as in our body. But any organization with hierarchy, many years ago, Brother Lee spoke in a message about what he called vertical building in the body. And as it turned out, none of us understood what that was. Sadly, we had a misunderstanding. And for a brief period of time, brothers with a good heart tried to have vertical building in the church. And I remember being in a meeting, not one of the leading ones, just there, and I asked them, is Brother Lee aware of what we're doing here? I didn't get any answer. And what we were doing, thinking it was building, was establishing a hierarchy. Here are the elders. And underneath the elders, there will be the ones who lead all the service groups and whatever. And under them will be the serving ones, and on and on we go. And Brother Lee found out about this and took immediate action. And in a meeting of the church, he exposed that this is an erroneous concept. And in one evening, it was demolished contrary to the body. So this was a learning experience for many of us, but not for all. And then another mistaken concept of building is having a very close relationships with other members of the body according to our preference in a natural way. And another part of our history, again in Anaheim, while a rebellion was starting to rise up, it was manifested in August 1978. But there were a group of sisters, very dear sisters, without a question. I would say the same thing regarding them now, 
but they had a false concept of building. And they thought it's just being so close to one another with one sister actually functioning as the queen. And then there's a hierarchy of those closest to her and those closer to them and on and on it went. And this caused deep loss to the church. And during the Memorial Day Conference in 1977, that was quite a weekend in our history. And we don't deny the facts of our history, we learn from it because we've been humbled by it. Brother Lee is giving messages on all ages in the Lord's recovery. And these sisters were sitting in their order, meeting after meeting. And during perhaps the third meeting, Brother Lee stopped the message or just kind of pressed the pause button and spoke directly to this group of sisters and told them, you must never sit in the meeting like this again. Then sometime later, some of the so-called leading sisters came to have fellowship with Brother Lee about what they were and what they were doing. They claimed to have fresh revelation from the Lord. And Brother Lee was very faithful and said, this is cancer. This is cancer. And they did not receive this fellowship, to say the least. And so according to my understanding, this placed the Lord into a situation where he either allows this cancer to grow or have the cancer removed for the sake of the church. And none of the brothers, especially not Brother Lee, did anything outward to effect a change. But they all left. None of them has ever returned. And we learned some lessons in a costly way concerning what building is not and what building is. Building is the issue of life growing and developing. Filling us, constituting us, blending us together in Christ. To take Christ as our life and our person. Then one other matter, and then we'll read some verses from Matthew. And then go through the outline as the Lord guides. Keep, keep in mind, please, the basic definition of building. The corporate 
expression of the triune God. Corporate expression. In order for us to truly be built in, to be in this genuine building, we need to become corporate and we need to express Christ. And here the word corporate is versus individualism, individualism. Not an individual saint having a personal life with the Lord. We all need this. But individualistic is just to be on your own. No real sense of need for the supply of the body, the covering of the body. And as the Lord is applying to us in a full way, Romans 5.10, much more we will be saved in his life. He will save us and is saving us from individualism and independence. And inwardly, we will realize deep within, we can say, I'm a member of the body. I cannot live without the body. You separate any part from our body, the body continues to live with a loss, but that part dies, is shriveled up. And this has to become an inward reality. And we would go so far as to say, following the ministry of the age, that we will be able to have the sense we cannot live without the Lord and we cannot live without the body. I cannot have this conference with you independently. I'm one brother giving the messages, but I'm not individualistic and I'm not independent anymore. So we need to have a corporate consciousness. And eventually this will emerge in us as we grow in life. And then the other word is expression. Expression. And the attribute of God that denotes his expression is glory. Glory is God expressed in splendor. In John 17, when the Lord was praying for us, the highest level of his prayer for the oneness was that we would be one in the divine glory. This means that there is no longer any expression of the self, of the natural constitution of the culture in which we were raised. We have been reconstituted to become 
the corporate expression of God. Now, at this point, I want to connect these verses in John 17, 20, 23, in that area, with the verse we emphasized this morning, 2 Corinthians 3.18. We are all being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Transformation is the working of the spirit with our soul. Our soul created by God. I'm not talking about his faculties, mind, emotion, and will. I'm talking about the soul as a total element, the practicality of our person. One function of the soul is to be the organ of enjoyment. The genuine spiritual experiences are, made, are in the spirit. The enjoyment of what we're experiencing is in the soul. Just think of one of your children being told to eat some veggies. This is mom's view of their... They're good for you. And they say they're good for you. That means you need to take them, but you may not like it. So they might eat the broccoli or the asparagus or cauliflower and experience it, but not enjoy it. So this shows the difference. But I want to emphasize the second matter. It's even above the enjoyment function. The soul is the organ of expression. And our soul needs to be transformed from glory to glory. That is from one degree of expressing Christ to another. Therefore, based upon this definition of building, the corporate expression of the triune God, we all need more saving in life. Nothing could be more normal in our daily life. But I have been learning some, even significant amounts, no false humility here. What a difference it makes to pray about it. Lord, today, save me in life today. You're my savior. I have been reconciled to you. Paul said, much more, we shall be saved. You know from which and what I need to be saved. You are fully aware of my condition. I don't have to examine myself. I open to your light. Save me today. Sanctify me. Renew me. Transform me, conform me. Do this, Lord, for the building, for the corporate expression of God. Transform me, transform all the saints, so that the wonderful, all inclusive Christ 
dwelling in our spirit, can make his home in our heart, and then express himself through our soul, through our thinking, when we express our thoughts. That happened to Paul. The opinion uttered by Peter in Matthew 16 was satanic. But in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul had to respond to some difficult questions regarding marriage. <clears throat> he said, I don't have a word from the Lord. But I will give you my opinion. And then he spoke because his mind had been renewed and transformed. And all of his feelings, when he could tell the Corinthians, I will gladly spend and be spent for you. I love you. And his will was transformed. What happened to him, not just will happen, is happening to us. But that transformation of the soul is for the corporate expression of the triune God. Now I'd like to read and comment on the verses from Matthew. And they're rather familiar. So we need the Lord's mercy to not have the thought, you know, been there, I've done that, heard that. Brother Watchman Nee said somewhere, every time he reads the Bible, he's reading it for the first time. And with his capacity, I don't know how many scores, even hundreds of times, he read the New Testament. So Matthew 16, uh, 18 and 19. And I also say to you that you, Peter, you are Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Okay, let me pause here and comment on this verse and then read and comment on verse 19. The Lord said upon this rock, the rock is not Peter. It is the revelation concerning Christ and in a way, Christ himself. And he said these words. Brother Lee has a little book on the greatest prophecy in the Bible. I will build my church. I can only wonder how the Lord feels when every week, almost every day, he hears or reads what they're saying of pastors and ministers saying, my church, this is my church, this is my flock. There's no such thing. The Lord settled the matter. I will build my church. And the church here is the universal church, the universal organic body of Christ. 
And then the Lord said this, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The Lord surely must have had a reason to make this one comment. He could have said so many other crucial things. But it seemed he leave that to the apostles to receive the revelation and teach it. The gates of Hades. This is the satanic power of death. The enemy hates, the enemy fears the real building up of the church. If that happens, the church as the body and as the one new man will accomplish God's eternal purpose and fulfill Genesis 126, image and dominion. And his ultimate weapon is death. And the more we live in the reality of the kingdom, under the direct rule of God, the more keen is our discernment from the attack of death. I've been in many prayer meetings where the enemy attacked death subtly through soulish prayers, even fleshy prayers in the meeting. So there will be the attack, but the Lord said, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Brothers and sisters, this implies something of utmost importance. What in the creation, what plant, what animal? Is there any human being that when death attacks can say, I refuse, I will conquer you. No such thing. That's why I love this hymn as you do. Death cannot hold the resurrection life. The builded church is built in the resurrection life of Christ. In the body of Christ, there is no room for natural life or our natural constitution. In the church, outwardly, there's no requirement. Are you, have you been dealing with the natural constitution? No, you're a believer. You have the faith. You're forgiven. You're redeemed. You're regenerated. But the church is the procedure, the local church. The goal is the body that's an in organization, in resurrection, sorry, totally in resurrection. And death cannot conquer it. Even again and again, in various ways, we will pass through death experiences. The enemy may mock and laugh, but time and time again, we emerge through the power of resurrection. And then in the second verse I read, where we'll read verse 19, and I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of the heavens. 
Now we see the connection between the kingdom and the church. On the outline, we'll read that it was the kingdom through the gospel that produced the church. And the church is the reality and practicality of the kingdom. And now the keys of the kingdom of the heavens are given to us. Now the church can carry out the decisions God makes on the throne. Whatever you bind on the earth shall have been bound in the heavens. And whatever you loose on the earth shall have been loosed in the heavens. There's a time in the prayers of warfare and of government to pray earnestly. At other times, the Lord would like to redirect us and say, indicate the heavens have bound this. Don't ask me to bind. You bind. I give you the keys. You bind this. And then the heavens have released, have loosed. So we don't need to pray for this in this context. Because the word is, you have the keys, release, to loose. I look forward to advancing with you and all the churches into this function of the church, especially through prayer. And then the other portion is in chapter 18, verses 17 and 18. And the, uh, the context of this is a situation where one brother sinned against another brother. And that brother who was the receiver of that went to him as a brother with the intention of gaining his brother. This is part of the kingdom living. We rarely practice this. Instead, it's common to gossip, to talk about. You go to the brother in a spirit of fellowship and point out what you said or what you did was really an offense against me and wounded. And his motive for doing that, as the verses say, we won't read them right now. He has gained his brother. And I've had this happen to me a few times. And I, it's just so clear that his brother is speaking the truth. Then we hear and we receive and repent to the Lord and to him. And it's settled. When God forgives, he forgets. And he will give us the same ability. One time, a brother went to one, one of the co-workers, apologizing for something. And the brother, full of joy and peace, he said, surely I forgive and it's forgotten already. But if he doesn't listen, 
Then the Lord said, bring two or three more as witnesses. If you won't listen to them, then he said, the Lord says, tell it to the church. My church, the church, not a church, the church. Because in the God-ordained way, you read Revelation, seven churches, seven cities. One church in a city, that's the church. If he does not listen to the church, he's not excommunicated, but he's considered in practicality as someone you can't have fellowship with. But that's not the end. For in verse, the next verse, truly, truly, again, truly, I say to you, that if two of you are in harmony on earth concerning any matter for which they ask, it shall be done for them from my Father who is in the heavens. And then in the prior verse, which I should have read, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on the earth shall have been bound in heaven Whatever you loose on the earth shall have been loosed in the heavens. In the book on the vital groups, Beverly has a message on this. A vital group meets together. The Lord gathers them together in harmony. They have a burden concerning this situation. The Lord gathers them into his name. They are in one spirit with one soul, and they sense what the heavens have bound regarding this, we bind. And what the heavens have released, we released. This shows the intrinsic relationship between the kingdom and the church. Now, point one on the outline. To be built up with fellow believers is the Lord's supreme and highest requirement of his faithful seekers, according to the oneness of the divine trinity. So this message is touching the Lord's supreme and highest requirement. Be built up with fellow believers. In one of his messages along this line, he told this story about a number of sisters. They had such high regard for another sister whom they considered supremely spiritual. And just in all of her ways, in their eyes, she is so spiritual. And they told Brother Lee about it. And he asked one question. Who is she spiritual with? In other words, is she built up? 
Is she built together with others? And so actually, the spirituality that can eventually be cancerous is a terrible disease in the body. So we need to be impressed with the, the most supreme and highest requirement of his faithful seekers, and that's us. You wouldn't be here on a Saturday evening. And so many dear young ones, so many things you could be doing if you love the present age on a Saturday night, but you're here. You took the lead. Christians on campus with the singing. And this is according to the oneness of the divine trinity. That's the criterion. That's the measure. Now, when we read in the word and also learn from the ministry, this is something the sovereign God requires. We need to have a three-step response. Please pay attention to this and do your best to either note this or recall this. The first step is to say, Amen. Matthew 5.48, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Amen. Forget about yourself. This is the word of God. Amen. That's the first step. The second step, and the Lord wants us to take the second step, is we say, Lord, in no way can I be this. I can't do this. How can I be perfect as the Father is perfect? How can I love my enemy? And how can I be built up? I say amen to this supreme and highest requirement, but I can't. Then the third step is from the Lord. In effect, he says, I know you can't. I don't want you to try. I will build. I will do this. Let me do what's in my heart concerning you. Let me live my God-man life in you and through you. Just be one with me, open to me. I will do what is impossible. If you read through the New Testament again and read many apostolic requirements, there's representing the authority of God. They're not suggestions. They are commands. And we need to say amen. Then we don't try. This will come a time in the life of everyone listening when you will truly give up trying to improve yourself, trying to defeat the weaknesses and the failures. You simply say, Lord, I cannot do it alone. He's been waiting for this. And now he comes in. 
because there's this mysterious governing principle, God only commands us to do what we cannot do in ourselves. And we'll see this when I read a few verses when we come to section two on the reality of the kingdom in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Be pure in heart. How can we be? But we say amen to that word, 5-8. But then there's no way. Am I supposed to purify myself? Impossible. But I can't. Then he comes. I am the one with the pure heart. I will make you the same as I am. And A and B. The constitution of the kingdom of the heavens is not for individuals, but for a corporate people. <clears throat> oh, and this is where, <clears throat> just the phlegm, uh, where I want to read a few verses from Matthew 5. So Matthew 5, starting with verse 3. And actually, let me start with verses 1 and 2. And when he saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He is not speaking to an individual, but to his disciples. And opening his mouth, he taught them, plural. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of the heavens. Not hers, not his, but theirs, plural. And this is his speaking to the kingdom people in the church. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There'll be times that we mourn over the situation. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of the heavens. Blessed are you, plural, when they reproach and persecute you. And while speaking lies, say every evil thing against you because of me. Rejoice and exult for your, plural, reward is great in the heavens. 
For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So I read point A again. The constitution of the kingdom of the heavens is not for individuals, but for a corporate people. The more we immerse ourselves in the church life and are growing in life to the point where we become body conscious, we will realize the best situation for me to be in the reality of the kingdom is to be one with all these dear saints to have fellowship and mutuality because this is a corporate matter but I could never be independently I can be in Christ through the church Whatever I cannot do personally, I'm able to do because I'm part of this kingdom reality. Then I would like to add this. When the Lord is saying, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I believe he's also doing two other things. In a certain way, he is revealing that he is the one who is poor in spirit. He is the one who is meek. He is the one who is poor in heart. He is the one who mourns. And now he wants to reproduce his life and person in us. And then as some footnotes in, in these two chapters, I can't recall what, where, the Lord in, in releasing these kingdom requirements, he does this to help us to realize we have the kingdom of life within us. A life has been imparted into us that is well able to live out this way. <clears throat> B, being built up with fellow believers, fellow partakers, rather, of the divine life is the highest virtue of one who pursues after Christ according to God's eternal economy. In Roman number one, we read that this is the highest requirement. To be built up is the highest requirement. Being built up is the highest virtue. Probably, if I began this message with a simple uh, one question, quiz or test, asking everyone to answer the question in one sentence at the boat at the most. Then it will be self-correcting so no one will know your answer. And suppose I asked you, maybe I should do this sometime if the Lord leads, 
to ask, what is the highest virtue of a Christian, the child of God? What's the highest virtue? It's likely, isn't it, that most would say, it's love. It's agape love. I can point you to 2 Peter 1. You start out with faith, then endurance, so many things. We reach brotherly love and love. Yes. But what does love do? Regarding building up of the church, read, read Ephesians 4.16. The body is growing. It's supplied. And the body builds itself up in love. <clears throat> the highest virtue is being built up. Isn't this, for many, a fresh light? There's the dawn. I think it's in Isaiah 8. If not, it's nearby. The Lord is speaking through the prophet to the people. And he said, they have no dawn in them. But we can have many dawns. Even Peter said in the verse I mentioned this morning, 2 Peter 1.19, until the day dawns. And maybe we need a dawning, even in the message. Maybe the Lord will wake you up at 2 a.m. And it's dawning in you. Or you're with the Lord having a personal time, which you need. Not all the time. It needs to be taken with the church outwardly. We need time with the Lord. And maybe then the day dawns. But this is the highest virtue. So let us pursue, fellow partakers of the divine life, this highest virtue. And we are pursuing after Christ according to God's eternal economy. This is what we all are doing. Your sharing after the message has made this so clear and inspiring to me and supplying but as these fellow partakers who are pursuing together, we should all be aiming at the highest virtue. Only the Son of Man will know who should be regarded as the overcomers. <clears throat> we will all appear before him. I do not presume to know what he will ask or what he will say. I hope to hear him say, well done. But I just wonder, especially among us who have been blessed to be under the vision of the age and under the ministry of the age, through the minister of the age, we have learned much concerning building. Maybe he would inquire. But maybe he won't wait till then. He'll do it in our fellowship with him. With whom are you truly built up? 
I said, I will build my church. I made you a living stone. With other stones, you should be built up. First Peter 2. I believe this will well lead us into victory. Attaining together corporately this highest virtue of being built up. Becoming the corporate expression of God. Roman 2. The Bible first presents the kingdom. And thereafter presents the church. The presence of the kingdom produces the church. And I, I just have this feeling to pass on to you. So we once had a crystallization study training on the gospel and various aspects. But actually, in the preaching of Jesus and of the apostles, yes, the gospel of grace, the gospel of peace were proclaimed. But basically, it was the gospel of the kingdom. That's what this country needs, is an aggressive, vital proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom. How we will do this, I don't know. But when Paul was at the Areopagus in Athens, he said, God commands all men, that is everyone, everywhere, to repent. I don't know to what extent this is ever in our consideration. And we need the Lord's training and perfecting how to carry it out. I don't think I should walk up to someone in a store and say, repent. But this is how the Lord preached. Repent for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. And this preaching of the gospel of the kingdom released the life of God and the kingdom as the realm of the divine life. And this brought forth the church. It produced the church. Now, A says, the life of God is the kingdom of God. And this life produces the church. Please remember all the different aspects of plant life make the plant world, the plant kingdom, rather. In all the forms of animal life make the animal kingdom. So at first in the kingdom of God, only God has the divine life. So only God is the kingdom. But this life produces the church. I repeat, it's the life of God as the life of the kingdom. The life of God that is the kingdom. That produces the church. This is what happened on Pentecost. 3,000 repented 
believed, were baptized, were added to the church. Because the life of God as the kingdom of God was proclaimed to them. And the spirit enabled them to repent and believe. Then B takes us another step. The kingdom is the reality of the church. Therefore, apart from the kingdom life, we cannot have the church life. In essence, the church life is the corporate God-man living. We are all in oneness, learning to walk according to the Spirit, live Christ, magnify Christ, in every aspect of the church life, ushering, preparing something, painting, serving with young people, composing the lessons for children's meeting, teaching them, in all these aspects, there's a reality. So in a sense now, we have two levels of reality. The reality of the kingdom itself. And then now we see the second kind of reality. The kingdom in its reality is the reality of the church. It's possible and I'll just speak in principle, saying it's possible to have a local church that is not living the real church life. There are so many necessary activities and faithful saints doing this and that. But the Lord wants reality. And we need to know and experience personally, then corporately, the reality of the kingdom. Living in the reality of the kingdom. That's our general subject. Living in it. And then the kingdom becomes the reality of the church where we are. This is one of the best service we can render to the church where we are by living in the reality of the kingdom in our personal life with the Lord in our church life. And this kingdom life will become the reality of the church where we are. How this happens, I don't know. But when the leading ones are an organic pattern, what they are just is passed on by the Spirit to all the saints in oneness. And we want to live in the reality of the kingdom so that in all the local churches, we have the reality, which is the kingdom. Otherwise, we cannot live the church life. 
If anyone knew this among us, it was Brother Lee. I learned this from him. One, the reality of the kingdom of the heavens is the content of the church life. Without the reality of the kingdom, the church is empty. There have been local churches in our history that are almost entirely empty. Remember what the Lord said to the church in Ephesus? To repent and do the first works, or I will remove the lampstand from its place. The churches are golden lampstands signifying the triune God expressed as a shining light. That is the content of the church viewed in that angle. And if the Lord would remove the lampstand, there would just be an empty local church. And so referring again to Matthew 5 and 7, in a few verses, in, in any church, being poor in spirit should be the norm. In every meeting, in every gathering, actually in our daily coming to the Lord, in our reading the word and studying the ministry, I'm with the poor in spirit people, the meek people, the pure in heart people, the mourning people, the hunger for righteousness people. Those who are willing to suffer when lies and false accusations are made in person and people hiding in darkness do it online. They have false names. The Lord knows every word spoken or written. He'll deal with it in due time. And it's not just someone, apparently, super spiritual person. This is the norm. And altogether, we're learning this. And altogether, we're becoming this. And the more we learn and become, the more we're really being built up. Two, since the kingdom life issues in the church life, as we live corporately in the kingdom life, we spontaneously live the church life. So let's just trace through the thought here. Our time is good. Just need 15 minutes more. Since the kingdom life issues in the church life we realize this as we live corporately in the kingdom life this is the lord is praying for this i believe he's praying for this right now just as he's interceding and ministering from heaven for this conference and allow me to say it in this meeting in this message and in your praying and in your singing and in your speaking. To live corporately in the kingdom life. And spontaneously. Life is always spontaneous. We 
live the church life. Contrast that with point one under B, an empty church life. Or a church life filled with the kingdom as its reality. That's the content. I believe the Lord will want us and guide us to pray for this in various kinds of prayer meetings. We pray for the church to be built up. In order to be built up, we must live the kingdom life. Then point three, quite a serious and sobering point. A believer who does not live in the reality of the kingdom cannot be built into the structure of the church. And I want to read to you Ephesians 2.22 because this is very applicable. In verse 21, Paul says, being built, no, in whom all the building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. All the building is, quote, my church, my church. The universal building and growing. But verse 22 is about the local church in whom you also, you in the church in Ephesus, you in the church in Philadelphia, you in the church of Dunloring, and excuse me for not naming all the places, just making a point, you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in spirit. In order for the Lord to have my church, there needs to be the building in, quote, the church, in the local church, with the dear saints that are here. This interesting mixture of people, God's way is of all kinds, all dispositions, all races, nationalities, cultures, languages, social classes. All that's terminated as part of the old man. And here we are. And we should pray. And the brothers take the lead. Lord, guide us on how we also in Christ may be built together into a dwelling place of God in spirit. We want to have the sense that when someone comes to the genuine local church, they feel at home. Many of us can testify, this was our feeling. We're home in the Father's house, in the place he prepared. But more important, we have the sense, God has a home. So much is going on in Washington, D.C. But oh, that the Lord would be able to speak in a council that may be held of the various angelic beings, including the adversary. And he would say, I'm just imagining a little. Look down in Washington, D.C. What do you see? Oh, oh. The, 
politics, all kinds of politics, ruthless politics. No, I see my house. I live there. That's my home. I, I live there right now. You can come and see. They're being built up. All of these dear ones into my dwelling place. And they're part of the universal building all over the earth. Enemy, the gates of Hades cannot prevail against the building church. But if one does not live in the reality of the kingdom, he cannot be built into the structure of the church. Under the Lord's covering, I say this again in principle, because it involves so many situations. There are dear brothers and sisters who have been in the Lord's recovery for 20, 30, 40, 50, even more years that still have not been built into the structure of the church. They are faithful in so many aspects of the church life is without question in their service and they're having their home open and uh, engaging in caring for people, functioning in the meetings. All that is necessary, is absolutely necessary but where is the content? Where is the reality into all these necessary things? And when the Lord looks upon a locality, he loves everyone. He died for every one of us. And he knows whether who is built in and who is still not. And for those who have not been built in, he knows what has hindered them. And I believe, because this is the Lord's heart and his way, if any person like that, it's not too late. Don't believe the lie of the enemy. It's not too late. You may be well into your 80s. It's not too late. Just don't take things for granted. Be humbled before the Lord. Be poor in spirit and ask him, Lord, I want to know the real situation now. I don't want to wait to the judgment seat. I want to know now that I can truly do my part. Lord, am I being built up? And eventually, somehow, we will know, no. Lord, why not? Why not, Lord? And you may indicate, you sang him 837 so many times, but you would not allow me to touch your being. I couldn't break you. I couldn't subdue you. You wouldn't let me. But I'm well able to do it in the time that's allocated to you. 
I fully believe this. I've seen this happen in lives. I've witnessed it. In the very last phase, the Lord gained them to the uttermost. The loss is, though, if they had been gained 20, 30 years before, how useful they would have been in ministering life and shepherding in so many ways. This is one of the ongoing burdens that the Lord has graciously placed upon me that I can testify his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Section C, without the kingdom as the reality of the church, the church cannot be built up. We can gather together, have excellent meetings, then we disperse. The goal is not just meetings. The purpose of meetings is building. When the church is brought into being through the authority of the kingdom, the keys of the kingdom are given to make the building up of the church possible. So we need to learn what the keys are and learn how to exercise them primarily in prayer. My dear ones, this can't just remain verses in the Bible or even something that we are now hearing. This is where we start. Lord, make this a reality. Train us to use the keys of the kingdom of the heavens for the building of the church. Three, when the kingdom of the heavens is able to assert its authority over a company of believers, those believers can be built up into the church. This is also a need and a responsibility. When the kingdom of the heavens is able to assert its authority, it's well that brothers in responsibility would inquire. On a rare occasion, the Lord may cause them to get on their knees and ask, Lord, are you able to assert the kingdom of the heavens in authority over the church here? Lord, begin with us. And bless the whole church in this way. That in the travels for 25 years. The Lord knows. I don't judge. I don't criticize. But my spiritual eyes are not blind. And you can see the difference. Here in this church. The authority of the kingdom of the heavens is asserted. So the building is taking place. But here, there's something else preventing that. The Lord loves his churches. Part of his love is to come and trim the wick and put in fresh oil and speak to the churches what they need 
and then minister himself into them. This is his heart. And now the last part to finish. The genuine church is the kingdom of God in this age. Today, the believers live the kingdom life in the church in all of those verses. I hope some, when your time and situation allow, you could read and to some extent pray with all of these verses from Matthew to Revelation. They're put there deliberately to have an impact on how crucial this is. B, although the church today is God's kingdom, we are in the kingdom in reality only when we live, walk, and have our being in the spirit, not in our natural man. So the more our Lord, our teacher, is able to train us and develop us, then the more we will just exercise to live, walk, and have our being in the spirit. I know from thousands of practical daily incidents, here this time, I'm under the throne, walking according to the spirit. Uh-oh, I had this reaction and said this, I'm out of the spirit. And so what do we do? We come back, receive grace, clear up the matters, and go on. I want to end this way because this verse I love comes up. Because I know there's an enemy that when he has the opportunity, will try to undermine what is spoken, but what is spoken, I believe the spirit will work out. That I can sense I'm ministering to a few hundred open vessels, lovers of the Lord, seeking of the Lord, who will take in the word of the Lord. But there will be a struggle. And in the last chapter of Micah, I quote this verse many times. The speaker says, do not rejoice, O my enemy, for when I fall, I shall rise again. And when I am in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. So, dear ones, forget the past falls. Forget the times of darkness. The Lord is ministering to you. He's praying for you. He's shepherding you. He will energize you. Rise up and go on. And if you need light, the light will come. Because we're all in this journey together. Destination, the building up of the church as the body of Christ. Praise the Lord.